Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 80th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we doing today? Footy Zach, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. Joel Linton. Joel Linton. He's Brazilian. He's Brazilian. <laughs> Joe Linton, the greatest center defensive midfield destroyer ever to lay foot in the entire country of England, Premier League or international play. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Put up anybody against Joe Linton and he will win every single time. I know you sent me a tweet uh, and I saw another one similar to this, but there's a there's a Twitter account uh, that is a very popular uh, Crystal Palace fan. His name's uh, the moniker is HLTCP. I don't know what it stands for, um, but he uh, he tweeted. He was like, as as a complete neutral, uh, seeing Newcastle buy Joe Linton for forty million pounds in expectation of him being the next Alan Shearer. Him then scoring seven goals in eighty seven matches. Uh, getting a new manager and quickly becoming uh, the best ball winner, ball winning midfielder in the Premier League is the <laughs> the character arc that I've always wanted to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. It was there was another quote along the lines of "No longer is Eddie Howe's greatest achievement um, taking Bournemouth from League Two to the Premier League. It's now turning Jolinton into the best <laughs> central defensive midfielder the world has ever seen." Yeah, I mean, j- jokes and exaggerations aside, what a what a performance by Joe Linton in a a weirdly disappointing draw against Manchester United on Monday. Um, Joe Linton has one man of the match in Newcastle's last three matches. Which, if you told me that would happen a year ago, um, I would have been surprised to hear Joe Linton and Newcastle even associated in the same sentence. Uh, but yeah, his 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 resurrection as a I mean, what 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 position do you think he's been playing? It's like a it's like a left def it's like a left defensive mid, right? But or or kind of more like a uh, almost like a uh, my my friend made a comment today um, while we were rock climbing. He said he said I think Joe Linton is this kind of like Fabinho esque player that is defensive minded but has just all of the attacking qualities that you want. Um, yeah, it's remarkable seeing him just cover the entire pitch. In answer to your question, Zach, he plays where he wants. That's he what does. Jolinton does. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. He doesn't have all the attacking attributes that you want because he's still a terrible finisher of the ball. Um, but he does have a lot of potential going forward in the wings. He's now just rock solid. I saw, saw him dispossessed so much. There was a three-minute clip. I don't know if you saw that on Newcastle's, yeah, I did. Uh, I did on Newcastle's main page, basically just like of all of the highlights of Jolinton against Manchester United, and he was just making mugs of them again and again, and it was so beautiful to watch because these players are like Harry Maguire, Raphael Varane. He's nicking the ball off of McTominay and Fred. He's just the, the desire was fantastic, and then when he got. Um, and then when he had a, something go against him, he just like started throwing his arms at the referee, got himself a yellow card on the stage. It's like erupting. It was just, it, he's just beloved now. It's absolutely crazy how quickly he's turned it around and, and won the St. James Park faithful around. It, it is interesting. He's almost like a, he, he's almost the epitome of what Newcastle fans have talked about for so long. And, you know, the, the ever chanted 
or the ever the ever spoken phrase we don't want a team that wins we just want a team wants a team that that tries that you know uh, competes i guess would be a better word and i think he he's almost like a microcosmic example of that where he was always trying but he, there was no there was no effect that he was having on games and i in my opinion much to other to people's faults other than himself he was being played wildly out of position uh and oftentimes as a as a sole striker in a, a four five one a position that he never played uh in germany before he moved over to newcastle uh but as you said the the kind of like change in tone from the fans seeing the amount of effort that he puts out and uh really being the one to, to kind of lead the lines right now and uh adam i i think you know this is this is my hot take before armchair pundits but um Captain Material is what I would describe Joe Linton as Ooh. at the moment. Captain Ooh. Material for Newcastle United. I'm not saying I expect or think it should or will happen, but but that's what you're seeing out of him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sort of passion. I, I totally see what you're saying, right? He, he's, he's playing with the passion that would warrant him potentially wearing the captain's armband. <laughs> we haven't even really got into our pot agenda yet, but I would I would argue that the improvement from John Joe Shelby as well has been phenomenal since Eddie Howe came in. And I think he's the natural second in line to the captaincy behind LaSalle's and he has been for some time. So, you know, I, I think there's, there's plenty of options there. Whereas I think we were struggling maybe before Eddie Howe came in to see who the next logical captain might be if LaSalle's was dropped. I think we've got mm -hmm. some options now, which is a good problem to have. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think that uh, and we'll, we'll go into this a bit later. We're gonna we're gonna talk about kind of what we want to see out of Newcastle in the January transfer window in the in the second half of the podcast. But um, yeah, it, a a a surplus of options uh, for for a new captain at Newcastle and and potentially in in my opinion, you know, the need for that change to be made sometime in the near future. Um, with you know my opinions on the job that Jamal Sells has done as of recently. Uh, a hint hit not not very pleased with with what he puts out as a captain or even simply as a player on the field but uh yeah bef before we get to all that adam how, how was your christmas how was your how was your holiday it was uh, great yeah, it was pretty low-key this year um we hung around in denver went over to a friend's house got some chinese food on christmas day as has become our tradition over the last four years or so given we don't have family here in denver uh, but we got some good friends and we uh, enjoyed it with them. Uh, Emma got all the presents that she asked for and more from Santa Claus. So she's she's doing doing very well. She started piano lessons, which is which is oh. super exciting. So uh, yeah, nice. that was our our present to her, and she started that on Boxing Day. So uh, yeah, all in all, I'd say a pretty pretty mellow and a fun, relaxing holiday. How about you? It was good. It was good. I, I spent the second annual Christmas with my my girlfriend Devin and her family uh, down in the in the suburbs of Denver, very close to where you live, actually. Uh, um, That's right. And yeah, it was it was nice. We watched uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which I had never Classic. seen. I had never what? seen before. Well, I had never seen before last year, which was the first time I celebrated Christmas with them. Hilarious movie. Great film. Uh, highly recommend to any other uh, uh, non-initiated folk like like I was uh, just a year ago. But yeah, we we celebrated that. Uh, we celebrated the holiday by watching uh, that movie. We also watched plenty of, of Premier League. Her parents have recently uh, decided that with 
with the with the depressing life of a Denver sports fan, as as both of our parents are are born and raised in Denver and are massive sports fans, they wanted a new uh, new excitement. So they they contacted me a couple of weeks ago uh, with a list of teams they were thinking of supporting in the Premier League, uh, and I I whittled down that list by cutting out any teams that were you know part of the uh, part of the Super League movement and explained that you know you can't be you can't be jumping onto any of those bandwagons right now. Uh, and they have ended up with two remaining finalists, which are Ooh. West Ham United, uh, a team okay. that you 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 might remember I I endeared to a friend of the pod and and former guest Johnny Jessup uh, years ago, uh, and then Aston Villa is their other choice, uh, which I which I really love. I I think that that's a a nice mid-table side to sport, even though I I have my own feelings about Aston Villa in the historical context relating to Newcastle, but. Uh, yeah, credit credit to them. They, in in like three weeks, they've become massive fans. Her dad will text me with very specific questions about players and and whatnot uh, on the daily. And when we were when we were there for Christmas, I I explained to him how transfer windows worked and how the cups worked and and pretty much everything. So uh, yeah, I think in in February we'll be going to we'll be going to the Celtic on market to watch the Aston Villa Newcastle game. Oh, there you go. Well, hey, two two things. Thing number one, um, I would say if if he's choosing between those two teams or if they're choosing between those two teams, you got to go with West Ham out of those two teams. There's too much history there with Newcastle on the Villa side to, to lean that way. And second thing I want to ask is, were those their two finalists purely because they play in the same colors as the Colorado Rapids? Ooh, interesting second question. Uh, it was not in relation to the Rapids, but they did mentioned to me that they quite like that they they wear the same colors as one another which makes it easy to root for both teams and her mom her mom made a good comment which is i can i can put on a game and if i see a club playing in that color i'll just assume it's one of my two favorite teams so it's a lot easier <laughs> to cheer for them <laughs> there's also there's also burnley which might might confuse the situation but there you go i i mentioned that yeah no i was like just just if, if you see a team not trying to attack you know it's not one of your two teams even if they're wearing <laughs> the same colors exactly that's right eat nails for breakfast Sean Dyche. Eat nails for breakfast. Uh, yes, a, a nice Christmas, uh, nice time watching some football and it's doing nice. other things. Um, and, and what a lot of football we have seen just in the last two weeks since our last episode, there have been uh, technically, uh, there there was supposed to be three games per team played. Obviously, that has completely fallen apart in terms of planning with the COVID outbreaks and, and injuries and Teams not being able to full field full squads, so uh, we we've created even a larger separation now between the team that has played the least amount of matches, which is Burnley at 15 matches, and the teams that have played the most amount of matches, which is Manchester City and Chelsea at 20 matches apiece. So, uh, yeah, the Premier League uh, is an absolute mess in terms of matches played. Uh, so no, no consistency there, but certainly a lot to catch up on uh, and a lot to go over in today's episode. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, I will kick us off, Zach, then with some EPL trivia before we get into our main talking points here on the front side of the commercial break um, with a very simple question for you. Name every English manager to have won the Premier League. Wow. I think there are way too many managers for me on that one. Can you give me the number right off the bat? I'm not going to give you any clues. Not yet. 
name ever i feel like that's so many i feel like in the 90s it, it must have been only british managers but then you could i guess make the counterpoint that not how many not of british those... english oh english oh you're taking a page out of my book from a uh -huh. few weeks ago when i asked you the the question about name me the the english managers currently in the premier league Okay, yep. so Sir Alex. So no, so, so no, Sir Alex Ferguson. So, so no, Sir Alex. So half of the titles are are, are completely void. <laughs> there you go. It narrows okay. your field a little bit more, I would say. Very interesting. Okay, cool. I'm I'm excited for for our first clue. I I definitely will need a little help on that, but that that certainly helps out to to knock out the man who has won the most in Premier League history. Yes, indeed. Cool. All right. Uh, so. Before we jump in today, uh, just a quick agenda for the episode. Uh, EPL talking points, we'll, we'll be sticking with that theme. We've gotten a lot of positive reactions from our listeners on uh, kind of opening this up from uh, instead of going match specificity, going into the, the larger talking points. So Adam and I will each do our two talking points. We'll then uh, do the, the first clue for the EPL trivia, uh, take a commercial break, and when we come back, uh, talk about Newcastle United's plans or what we think their plans should be in the upcoming transfer window. We will then have a, uh, a special update uh, from a Liverpool fan on the state of that club, um, a team that if you if you listen to interviews with their manager, Jurgen Klopp, that you'd think that they are in absolutely perilous position, plummeting down the Premier League with no hope uh, for the future. Um, obviously, that's not entirely true. And then we will do armchair pundits in 10 and 90 before Adam gives our second clue and answer to the EPL trivia. So we, we do have a fun kind of varied episode for today for our last episode, Adam, of 2021. And I will I'll raise my Fremont Sky Kraken Hazy Pale Ale to the final episode of 2021. My hope for 2022 is Newcastle United gets to play in the Premier League this time next season oh i will agree with that wholeheartedly and i will raise in true british style my cup of tea uh -huh. cheers. cheers cheers to that okay on to our first talking point from the last two weeks uh i will start this one off today adam uh because i think it's it's only fitting to start with a talking point about the team at the top of the premier league table and that is Manchester City, my opening question for you, is Manchester City already running away with the title? We're, we're seeing them not only at the top of the Premier League table, they're the top of the form table. Uh, as a reminder, the form table is covering just the last five matches in the Premier League. Manchester City, the only club in the Prem to have won all five of their latest matches uh they have 15 points from a possible 15 eight points clear of chelsea in second with the same amount of matches played uh and they are absolutely cooking with gas at the moment uh it's it's five points above or excuse me five points and six points gained on liverpool and chelsea respectively since our last podcast uh so widening that gap further and further and we're also looking at a team with the best offensive record with 51 goals scored and least goals allowed with 12 allowed in 20 matches in the Premier League. They're doing everything right. They're in every single way, objectively, the best team in the Premier League. Uh, and it's looking like this could become a, a bit of a boring title race uh, right before our eyes. 
Yeah, I think you're um, you're absolutely right. They're running away with it right now. And I think you're selling them a little bit short on some of the accolades they have in terms of point scoring. Yes, it's five wins out of five from the last five games here. Um, but overall, they've taken 50 points from 60 so far this season uh, with 20 matches played. Not only that, though, they have taken 30 points from a possible 30. They've won their last 10 successive Premier League games. They are on a monumental roll right now. And what I'm noticing about Manchester City is when they're playing teams that either try to go at them or just aren't on a par with them in terms of the quality, you're seeing them absolutely thrash them. Beat Newcastle 4-0, beat Leeds 7-0. But then when they need to eke out wins against teams that are slightly better from a defensive standpoint, you know, a 1-0 win against Wolves, who've only conceded 14 in 18 games. Today, they go to Brentford, which is a pretty tough place to go. Brentford have only, before today, conceded 24 goals in 17 games. They go there, they win 1-0, and they grind it out with this brand of possession football, right? You're, you're thinking towards the end, and I was listening to the commentators in this Brentford game saying, Brentford have sat back and absorbed pressure. When do they start to go for it? So with about five minutes left, they start trying to go for it. Manchester City play keep ball. It's like Olay's from the away end, and they're <laughs> keeping possession for the last 10 minutes of the game, and Brentford don't get a look in because they can't even get a foot on the ball. And it's mm-hmm. just unbelievable quality at the moment. Who, who, who needs an out-and-out striker, a number nine for Manchester City, when you've got the quality that you have on that side? Yeah, Phil Foden with the goal today, uh, you know, a really smart one-time finish on a cross from, from Kevin De Bruyne, I believe it was, on uh, the right wing. And it, it's exactly that. It's this level of professionalism, and it's it's seeing a team that knows how to be champions. And what I mean by that is in these situations, as you just described, late in the match, they're they're having to to hold a lead away from home. They they know how to do it. They've been there and they've done that. A, a, a quite considerable number of the players in today's Manchester City lineup have either won the title with Manchester City or have won it uh, abroad in, in other nations and just know how to be champions, know how to shut games down. I, I think a lot of teams would have more difficulty than you might expect playing kind of keep away in the last few minutes and, and keeping the ball moving and, and keeping you know, the possession entirely uh, within their hands. But this is nothing new to any of the players on this team, even a player as young as Phil Foden, who we've talked about extensively, cracked into Manchester City's first team at age 18. So already a veteran uh, in his, in his you know, young, young age. So it, it's really impressive what they're doing. And as we've kind of alluded to here, there's not really any reason to think that that 10-game unbeaten run would would end anytime soon. Yeah, and, and, and another game to highlight, um, recent victory over Leicester, a 6-3 win, right? So they score when they need to. Conceded three, go- three goals in that game. Never mind, just mm-hmm. score six, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's the, Man- the Manchester City way. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was a wild game. That was on the weekend going up 4-0, and it, I think it was within 10 minutes Leicester scored all three of their goals, and Again, as you as you mentioned, another another example of of been there, done that is they don't lose their heads. Manchester City. It's not a repeat of the the greatest match in in modern day Newcastle history. The the Arsenal four four draw in 2011, 2012. Manchester City knows that they can you know they can shut it down. They know that they can fix their mistakes, and it comes from having a world class manager 
as well as world-class players. So it's it's pretty impressive to see what they're doing at the moment. Imagine how good they'll be, Zach, when Jack Grealish finally hits him for. I know. He did get the start today, uh, which has been a bit rare this season. He's been dealing with a few injuries and also the depth that they have on on their their front line uh, is is pretty difficult to break into, even if you're in a hundred million pound man. Uh, but he did play today and and did you know he he looked brighter than he has in in recent weeks. I I, I agree though. Uh, once he once he gets into form or once they can really kind of figure out how to unlock him, it's going to be a whole different animal. Um, okay, Adam, do you want to talk about uh, the team that plays on the other side of Manchester? Yeah, let's do that. So my my first question for the day is. What do we make of Ralph Rangnick's Manchester United so far? Um, I'll give you some statistics here for um, Ralph since he's come in as interim Manchester United boss. Played four games, won two, drawn two, no losses so far. Um, four goals for, two goals against. So much tighter at the back, not the free-scoring Manchester United that we've been accustomed to seeing. The wins were in the league against... Norwich and against Palace and the draws were against Newcastle and oh. Young Boys. So not necessarily a really difficult fixture list. Um, you'd expect them to be winning those games. But I think more alarming than that for me has been really the way that Manchester United have been playing. Much more cagey, much more defensive and just d- devoid of ideas going forward. I thought they were lucky to get a point, as we mentioned already, um, at St. James's Park against Newcastle. And personally, I'd love to hear your take on this. I've been a little bit concerned about the brand of football we've seen from Manchester United so far. I don't know that it will hold up against slightly better teams when they start to play them. I think that was the one concern that a lot of people had when when Ranić was was brought in. Is not not only has he had uh, a bit of time away from you know standing on the touchline as as the manager of a professional club but even when he was a manager he he was known for this more defensive style football and that's kind of how he made his name in germany uh, taking these mid table sides and and getting them to a place where they were they were stable at the back and, and able to absorb the pressure of the heavy hitters in bayern munich and and borussia dortmund uh, much gladbach clubs like that so as you mentioned it, it's not really working at manchester united four goals scored in those four matches against mid or lower table sides is is quite disappointing and we saw it in the game against newcastle a game that newcastle absolutely should have taken three points from we were the better club from almost the almost the entirety of the game pretty much every moment except for the goal that we allowed uh and you're you're kind of seeing a bit of an example of like surplus uh players or, or players that just don't necessarily fit together. I, I thought that Jaden Sancho was actually quite good against Newcastle, but but he kind of had this uh Alan St. Maximin mark about him in the games where where ASM is 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 not really terribly impactful. You know, that that similarity of of making the runs and and kind of splitting defenses but not having the the end product that that you might need. So I think there is a bit of concern at Manchester United right now. I, I think that they've uh, you know, they invested both financially and uh, kind of personnel wise so heavily on Harry Maguire being the next, you know, the next great thing, the next, the next Vidic, the next uh, O'Shea, even if you will, at, at Manchester United. Uh, and he just has not been consistent enough for them. And 
when you're playing defensive style football and you you have a center back in Harry Maguire that's in one of the worst worst runs of forms of his career, uh, it's really difficult to build off that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, another player I wanted to highlight is Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, zero chances created in the game against Newcastle. Pretty abject performance for a player of his quality. Here's my question to you, Zach. Is he any better off at Manchester United than he would have been at Juventus this season? They sit fifth in Serie A, and Manchester United currently are sitting in seventh in the Premier League. Uh, it, it's a really good question because I, I think that, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is such a powerful figure in world football that I, I always suspected that part of the reason he pretty much forced his way out of Turin is is somewhat due to the, you know, kind of instability that exists throughout uh, the Serie A at the moment. You know, there's not one club in that entire league that is financially stable right now, which is a really terrifying prospect as a, as a player in that league. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that as you just mentioned, you have two clubs that are in the same position in their respective tables. Neither of them look like they're going to make a run for the title. Inter Milan is, is pretty much running away with it uh, in, in Italy at the moment. And Juventus is, is far off that pace. Uh, I would almost reverse the question though, to you, Adam, uh, it kind of phrase it slightly differently. Do you think Manchester United is any better off with Cristiano Ronaldo than they were without him? I mean, obviously there's increased individual quality on the pitch, but do you think he's moving the needle for that club? I don't personally. I, I, it's dawned on me recently how close he was for in terms of signing for Manchester City. Um, and I'll flip the question right back on you here. Would Ooh. Manchester City be as oh, man <laughs> had, had Cristiano Ronaldo signed for them? Do you, do you feel like he is causing problems at that club? Um, in terms of him being an automatic starter, not going there to sit on the bench, you're never going to not start Cristiano Ronaldo for your team. So by nature of that, we've seen a downturn in form of Bruno Fernandes. We've seen players that have been free scoring in the past. Martial can't get a look in. He's going to be on his way in January is the rumor. Just Greenwood is horribly out of form as well. Is Is he just taking too much of the focus away from those other Manchester United players. You kind of asked me two questions there. I think that he is taking the attention away. I think that uh, um, it, it is an interesting thing to have him on your, your club because again, the the quality is there. The Nobody is gonna deny that CR7 is one of the best players in the world, but does he work in the system? Uh, Bruno Fernandez is an interesting person to look at. And I was talking to uh, my roommate, Noah, both friend and former former guest host on the pod uh, in, in just our last episode. And he made a really interesting observation, which is that when a player such as Bruno Fernandez goes from taking every penalty uh, and Manchester uh, United, a team that notably gets a lot of penalties, to taking none, not only does his goal tally significantly drop, but oftentimes his confidence does as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Fernandez is, he, he's, <laughs> as a professional footballer, I, I don't think he by any means thinks that scoring a penalty is, is nearly as difficult as scoring a goal from open play. But there is just that that added boost of confidence that you get with, with seeing a higher number next to your name in the goal scored column on the stat sheet. Uh, and you're right, he's become this this very, very ambiguous center attacking midfielder on Manchester United and is not able to kind of have the impact 
he did before. I also don't think that Cristiano Ronaldo and Edison Cavani work well up top in any sort of capacity. I think that Ronaldo was, you know, what was once a, a winger has become this, this center forward in his last few years at Juventus and you know, him and Cavani are wildly incompatible as two men up top, uh, even though Cavani was able to get the goal against Newcastle. So I think a lot is wrong there. And then to, to answer your other question, I don't think necessarily City would be better with Cristiano Ronaldo. I think a lot of their style relies on not having a forward, which is a incredible credit to what Pep Guardiola has essentially invented a new style of football at Manchester City. Um, yep. And they also they also do have this culture there of anybody can be dropped and you have to be okay with that. You know, nobody is indisposable. Even Kevin De Bruyne gets uh, games where he's put on the bench. And uh, I think that Pep is able to frame it as, you know, we're, we're pacing you, we're keeping you healthy, we're keeping you at full strength. We play a lot of matches. We're in the Champions League and all the other cups. Uh, but I don't think that would work with Cristiano Ronaldo necessarily. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why he went to Manchester United, aside from obviously the the history that exists there. Anyway, I digress. Um, Ralph Rangnick's Manchester United so far, four games in. Give him a grade, Zach. A C? I, I, I think it's wildly disappointing. Two wins from those four matches, Palace, Norwich, Newcastle, and Young Boys. That's 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 far below the grade. You 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 need to be winning three, if not four, of those matches, without a doubt. Ralph Rangnick has come into Manchester United and is undefeated in his first four games as manager. And you're okay. giving him a C. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's do you think it's okay for Manchester United to be undefeated if they're not able to win all four of those matches? No, not at all. If you want to I, be competing I, for the title, that's disappointment. <laughs> I actually totally agree with you. I gave him a C as well, but I wanted to make sure I put that perspective on it. That yep. he has no, I like that. undefeated as manager so far. And we've been the, very the, critical. The, and we've talked about this before, right? The optics are different for every club in the Premier League. If you if you put that on Eddie Howe's name, we would have given him an A plus, but uh, mm -hmm. that is just not the culture that they foster at Manchester United. And although they have not been uh, nearly, they have not been nearly as good as the, the title winning sides in the last four or five years of the Premier League, I think they still have the expectation uh, of being able to compete. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we agree on that, but I think that is a really good point, that it is wild to think about undefeated and for uh, a, a near-failing grade as a manager. Yep, exactly. All right, my, my second talking point for today, Zach, um, it's a very simple question. Do Arsenal fans owe Mikel Arteta an apology? I'm going to give you a couple stats here to, to kind of give you some thought, thoughts as you as you mull this over. Arsenal are now fourth in the Premier League. They were, as I'm sure you'll remember, bottom of the Premier League at one point this season, spent a few weeks in the bottom three with Newcastle and Norwich, who still reside there earlier in the season. They have won five straight games in all competitions. They are in the semifinal of the Carabao Cup. They have lost their captain, um, who's been frozen out, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, in the last five games, he has not featured at all. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe has scored eight goals this season, only behind Mo Salah, Diogo Jota, and Jamie Vardy. Um, with Aubameyang out, we've seen Gabriel Martinelli score three in his last four Premier League games. Lacazette, two and four. Smith-Rowe has got four and four, and Bukayo Saka has got three and four. And Edward Nketiah, who can't get a game, scored a hat-trick 
in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal. Um, I, <laughs> I want to ask the question, do Arsenal fans owe Mikel Arteta an apology? You know, Adam, d- despite Arsenal, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even get this out without laughing. Uh, d- despite Arsenal fans being historically patient and notably accepting uh, and, and and trusting in their managers, uh, I do think that there was a severe uh, overreaction on Mikel, and, uh, Mikel, Mikel Antonio. Uh, Mikel Arteta's job as manager of Arsenal, I absolutely think he has owed an apology. Uh, I know that Arsenal is a club that is is a team that a lot of people like to like to make fun of in the Premier League. There there is this kind of like <laughs> almost like t- Tottenham senior type uh, mentality that's given to the other club in North London. But Arteta, in my opinion, uh, should be in the top two or three. Uh, for manager of the season so far. Obviously, he won't win it because it always goes to either the club who wins the Premier League or if there's a club who wins the Champions League, that manager. Uh, But it's unbelievable what Arteta is doing with that team. They're by far the youngest club in the Premier League. You know, just like they're they're the U.S. national team, but, but in the Premier League, coming out with these consistent average squad ages of 21 22 years old uh, and i think what he's done with their academy products is is nothing short of amazing smith rowe is turning into quite a player this this kind of david silva-esque center attacking midfielder who who seemingly just drifts into the right places at all times i've i've watched a lot of arsenal football with with my roommate noah who claims to not be an arsenal fan but uh his his viewership would would argue otherwise and you you see smithrow almost every goal he has scored he he's just kind of you know slowly moving off the ball and then suddenly in the perfect position to get a shot on goal uh bakayo saka is obviously a superstar in the making on the england team and in the premier league their their defense has really buckled down ben white has, has kind of become a, a stalwart back there after a, a tough beginning to the season so yeah, I think that that Arsenal is playing some really exciting football. I would almost say, outside of Manchester City and possibly Liverpool, probably the most entertaining football in the league right now belongs to Arsenal. Uh, and I think that Arteta is finally kind of finding his place to to groom and to create this this new era of of Gooners that that he's wanted to create uh, since he was given the job a few years ago. Yeah, some some great points in there. Um, I actually had a chance to chat about this with. A friend of mine, Matt, today, who is an Arsenal fan, and I kind of asked him, like, you know, why why have we become a much more attacking, free scoring team, Arsenal, under, um, sorry, without Aubameyang in the team? And I kind of gave him some of those stats about the goal scoring over the course of the last four Premier League games, and he said the unsung heroes of that are Alexander Lacazette who is the kind of target man who holds up play, who enables the wingers in the team. And he said, we have fantastic wingers who get forward for Arsenal and are chipping in with goals. Lacazette's hold up play has been allowing them to do that. And the other person who's not really getting as much of a mention is Martin Odegaard. He said, he's just a fantastic, phenomenal. A great um, purchase in the summer. Ball playing creative midfielder who has really transformed the team and the creativity from him is also allowing some of those players like Martinelli, who I'll remind you was my shout for young player of the season before the season started. 
Um, he's having a great run of form right now too. I think you'd probably argue that Smith Rowe might might nip nip, nip past him for that, um, but still having a, a really good season by all standards. So um, I think some some great points there. And then the other thing I want to talk about, we've talked about the offensive juggernaut they are. They figured out the defensive side of the game too, Zach. 23 goals only conceded in 19 games this season, just over one a game averaging. Gabrielle and Ben White, you mentioned him, really solid pairing. Um, and then I want to ask just one final question. We said, do Arsenal fans owe Mikel Arteta an apology? Does Zach Pensack owe Aaron Ramsdale an apology? Oh, no. <laughs> it's coming back to bite. Adam, you you went through the receipts. You went through the, uh, the, the past <laughs> transcripts. I, I definitely... I definitely owe Aaron Ramsdale an apology. I think we talked about this last episode. We each we each have had players that we've written off uh, and that we certainly have been objectively incorrect about. Mine is uh, Aaron Ramsdale, and yours is is Declan Rice. <laughs> and I'm still I, not I on the Declan that, Rice bandwagon yet. <laughs> no, that will that now. Now you're just doing it to to continue the bit going on. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that Ramsdale has been immense for Arsenal. Uh, Brent Leno was was never sure-handed in goal, and uh, yeah, Ramsdale is is putting up some some remarkable matches. If he can displace uh, Jordan Pickford in the England team, then then I'll, I'll bound down to him. I think it's when, not if, right? Because, you know, you got Henderson that's not really getting a game at Manchester United. So the only competition, I think, realistically, I don't think Nick Pope's going to be keeping Pickford out of the, um, of the England team. I yeah. think Ramsdale, it's a matter of time though. Yeah. Yeah. We will see. Pickford does just put on, he, he puts on his Batman outfit when he plays for, for uh for england he he goes from being just just a simple wealthy man uh plying his trade uh at everton and, and putting up shit performances one after another <laughs> to, to being a he, he is i i gotta say jordan pickford is a world-class goalkeeper when he plays for england uh which is a, a wild part of his story because of how average he is uh when he plays club football or robin olsen jr as we call him Ooh, nice Nice. We do call him that. That's a a deep one. Put the cigarette out on the forearms on that (laughs) one. (laughs) All right, Zach. Last last talking point. What do you got for me? Cool. Uh, Yeah, so very, very topical at the moment. Uh, January is about to begin in just a matter of days. And not only does that mark the beginning of our midseason transfer window, but it also uh, marks the beginning of the biannual African Cup of Nations tournament, which will beginning will be beginning on January the 9th. It was uh, initially supposed to begin right at the beginning of the month. Uh, however, pushed back due to uh, COVID scares, as well as um, some political issues in the host nation of Cameroon. Uh, however, January 9th will be the new start date. Uh, and this is a really interesting part of uh, the Premier League that, again, we we only get to talk about every other year uh, because it's the only time in which players are taken out of the league. Mid-season fixtures domestically are not stopped or delayed in any uh, way. And teams essentially just have to deal with that. Uh, they, you know, are, are losing significant players at times, uh, and obviously game plans and, and strategies will be tested as well as kind of the the depth in that squad. So, what I wanted to do, Adam, is go through the five teams that I marked as being most heavily impacted by the African Cup of Nations and the consequential players that will be leaving their clubs. Uh, these clubs are listed in order of how many players they are losing. 
however, some of the clubs, as we'll, we'll kind of talk about, I think will be more impacted than others, uh, even if they're losing less players. So we'll kind of go down the list, Adam, and we can kind of just go through uh, these clubs and talk about what we think uh, is going to come of their, you know, their fate uh, as their, their key players that I've marked here uh, leave for their continental tournament in just about a week. Sound good? Sounds good. Cool. So the, the club that's actually losing the most players uh, to AFCON is Watford. Um, not a good time for, for Watford uh, sitting in 17th, just two points above the drop zone, uh, to be losing uh, some players from their team. They're losing five players, and the two that I marked as uh, the key players that are departing are what the unfortunately the two players that i would argue are the best two players on watford emmanuel dennis uh leaving to play for nigeria he has the most goals and most assists for watford this season eight goals and five assists for a team in 17th at this point really really remarkable form i, I think he's probably my mid-season mark as the most under talked about star in the premier league so far he scored a fantastic goal uh, in their last match. And then uh, Ismail Lassar also going to the African Cup of Nations playing for Senegal. Um, again, I, I'd say probably their second best player this season. That, that, certainly the highest touted player for Watford going into this year. Um, but yeah, really, really difficult for Watford to lose those two players at this point in the campaign. Yeah, when I saw this on the outline, I, I wanted to kind of quantify the loss of those players by thinking about the games that they'll be missing while they're gone. And I think across the board, assuming there are no matches canceled for COVID or otherwise, each of these teams that we're going to highlight will be playing two games during the time span from January 9th to February 6th. This is massive for Watford. Over that time span, the two games that Emmanuel Dennis and Ishmael Asar will miss will be Newcastle away and Norwich at home two teams that are below them in the Premier League, and there are only three below them in the Premier League. Watford have now lost five on the spin, and I think they've got one game in between. They've got these two big games coming up without their two biggest goal-scoring threats. Could we see the return of Troy Deeney to the fold? That would be that would be stuff of legend. I, I... I mean, anything could happen at Watford. I'll, I'll I'll turn it around and say, will we see a new manager at the club if they lose both of those games? We know that Watford, you know, Watford's ownership uh, has no idea how to run a football club uh, in terms of uh, from the managerial perspective. So Claudio Ranieri isn't able to get wins without his best players. You could you could see their short sighted, narrow minded owners saying, "Okay, it's it's time for you to go." I mean. You certainly wouldn't put it beyond the Watford ownership to do that. Is that the right thing necessarily to do? I don't know. I'd be curious to know if um, Watford have more or less points per game this season under Ranieri than they did under their previous manager. Ooh, that's a good question. I I don't have know. They I mean, I, I, I don't think they've improved necessarily, but I also don't think that letting a manager have four months. I mean, it, we, we've talked extensively about how the the idea of firing a manager and hoping that the new manager will bring an improvement is just completely falsified by not allowing a manager to have time to implement his strategy. I mean, Ranieri hasn't even had a transfer window yet. And so if he's fired at this point, it's like you, you've given him 
you've given him somebody else's toolbox and told him to to create uh, a new car. I think that's a, a pretty difficult thing to do. Yep, totally. Uh, who's next up, Zach? So Leicester is the uh, next team. There are three teams that are losing four players to the African Cup of Nations. The first one is Leicester. The two players that I've bookmarked as their key losses, uh, both uh, Nigerian internationals. You have Wilfred Ndidi and Kalechi Iheanacho. Uh, I think this is really hard on Leicester. You know, they they had this dramatic win on the week, at uh, the beginning of the week uh, against Liverpool, that 1-0 victory. Uh, much needed for Leicester as they've been losing players to injury and COVID left and right, and have just had a really difficult season, as we talked about on our last episode. And Ndidi and Iheanacho, two very, very important players in that side. Ndidi, when he's healthy, one of the first players on the team sheet, uh, and Iheanacho has provided a really good alternative to Jamie Vardy when needed to switch it up or uh, just needing some different style of play. Iheanacho plays a, a much different style of striker, kind of a bit more of a uh, a center forward uh, versus Vardy, uh, who you know has made his living running through the channels. So I think that is really, really difficult for for Leicester uh, in the time that Ndidi has been, you know, coming back into health, losing him, and again, Ian Nacho is is one of their only other reliable goal threats uh, besides uh, the 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 poster child of Leicester Football Club, Jamie Vardy. I'd like to offer some counterpoints there. The games they'll be playing while these two players are out are Burnley away and Brighton at home. Leicester has a pretty good depth of squad where they could probably get through those two very winnable games without those two players. I do agree on the NDD side. I think he's an automatic starter for Leicester. On the Ian Nacho side, I've been pretty disappointed with him this season in terms of his goal return compared to the way that he ended the previous season. Um, You mentioned Jamie Vardy, somebody who you're doing a huge disservice to who I think has been magnificent this year and was one of the players that I touted as signing of the summer was Patson Daka. He's the mm-hmm. only player um, for the last 20 years to score four goals in a game for Leicester. He did it in European competition, yes, uh, but four goals in a game is something that Jamie Vardy has never managed for Leicester in all the time that he has been there. So Patson Daka is somebody I think who can immediately get plugged in um, and play for this Leicester team and score for this Leicester team. And I just think they have a deep enough squad at Leicester that they'll be able to overcome and probably win those two matches pretty comfortably. Yeah, that is a good point. I I do agree. And Didi is the bigger loss there. Uh, They've had their defensive issues this season. We've seen a severe decline in uh, Calgar Soyuncu as well as Johnny Evans um, in their two center backs. Uh, And then they've had, you know, tons of injuries that, that we've talked about, uh, at ad nauseum, but I, I agree. I think that DACA was a phenomenal signing and is another player, maybe right next to Emmanuel Dennis, as, as players who are not getting enough attention for what they've done uh, in the Premier League, largely because they're on two teams that aren't playing particularly well on the season. That being said, uh, next club I'd want to talk about is Palace, another club losing four players. Uh, unfortunately for Palace, uh, I marked all four of the players they're losing to the African combinations as key players, uh, one of which may be a little less than the other three. Uh, you have Cheku Koyate going to play for Senegal, Jeffrey Schlupp for Ghana, Jordan Ayu for Ghana as well. He's the one that is slightly less influential at this point in his career. And then Wilfred Zaha uh, for Ivory Coast. Don't really need to dig into if Wilfred Zaha is important for Crystal Palace to have on the pitch. Uh, I think, you know, th- this is really tough for Palace, a team that has 
had a really impressive season. I'd say one of the more impressive teams in the Premier League uh, in, at this point in the year, setting an 11th, which I'd say you know, going into this season, they they certainly would have taken. Um, but yeah, Koyate, Schlupp, and Zaha, really, really big players for them to lose at this point. Yeah, definitely big losses. Um, looking at the games they'll be playing while those players are out, Brighton of Albion away, Liverpool at home. What I'd say to you, Zach, is even with all four of those players there, I could maybe see them getting a point from those two games, um, potentially against Brighton. Uh, but I, I just, I'm not worried because I think that Palace will be fine this season. I don't think two games is going to really be that impactful and dramatic for them in that season, given how difficult those two games were anyway. I think there'll be plenty of winnable games once they're back from the African Cup of Nations uh, where they can pick up points. Definitely. The, the, you know, the two games in a potential three and a half weeks is, is massive for, for a club like Palace uh, that you're right there. I mean, they're all they're aiming for is potentially a, a good cup run in the FA cup and uh, stability in the Premier league. I think the latter is all but assured at this point. And uh, the former, you know, they'll be playing their first uh, game in the FA cup during the African cup of nations. And if they can win that, they'll have those players back uh, for the next round of fixtures. So they will most likely be able to get through that period fairly unscathed. Arsenal is the other club with four players going to the tournament. Interestingly enough, I looked at these four players and and immediately thought that this is really not a uh, a terribly impactful uh, loss for Arsenal. Thomas Partey going to play for Ghana. Mohamed Elneny for Egypt. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, playing for Gabon and Nicolas Pepe for the Ivory Coast. These are four players who rarely, if ever, start for Arsenal at this point in time, despite you know, two of those players in Aubameyang and Pepe being two of the highest paid players on the club. So, yeah, Arsenal's in a good place to continue their great run of form. Yep, I agree. Um, one of those games while they're gone is actually, though, the North London Derby. So they're playing away at Spurs for that first game with their players gone. And they're home to Burnley. But again, I think you're you're absolutely right. These are not starters for Arsenal at this point. And will Pepe and Aubameyang even be at Arsenal by the time that game rolls around in the latter half of January? Who knows? Yeah, a, a great question there, especially Aubameyang, who has all but been frozen out of that club uh, that, that he signed his extension for just a year ago. Uh, the last club I want to talk about, uh, a team losing three players to the tournament and three extremely impactful players, is Liverpool. Sadio Mane for Senegal, Mohamed Salah for Egypt, and Nabi Keita for uh, Guinea. Now, this is an interesting one, Adam. I, I'd say that Keita obviously is, is a player that is kind of a level below in terms of impact to the current side um, for Liverpool. Uh, but Mane and Salah, two of the first names on the team sheet every game. Salah, you know, we've, we've praised him to no end this season, potentially the best player in the world at the moment, uh, certainly has a claim for the best player in the Premier League. Uh, and it is only two matches, but but as we, we chatted about before, with Manchester City, you know, operating at a very, very high octane. And I would also like to note only losing one player in Riyad Mahrez, interestingly enough, the highest goal scorer on their team this year, but City, a team that has depth uh, for days. Um, I think this is a really dangerous time for Liverpool to be losing two of their starting players and talking with a few Liverpool uh, a Liverpool supporting friends of mine, uh, there, there are not exactly, you know, like for like swaps at those two winger positions. You, you might see players like Alex Osley and Chamberlain go into a more advanced role. Uh, perhaps Diogo Jota going on the wing with Bobby Firmino 
playing up top, but it will be really interesting to see what Klopp does losing Mane, Salah, and Naby Keita. Yeah, it will. I think Divac Origi has to get some game time while um, while those players are out. Looking at the games yep. they're playing, it's Brentford at home and Palace away. Both very winnable games. And remember, we just talked about Palace. Palace have their own, their own players that they're going to be missing for that one as well. Um, could be a potential banana skin game for, for Liverpool, considering Palace beat Manchester City earlier on the season, one of only two teams to do so. Um, but I think Liverpool have enough depth that they can come through those games pretty comfortably. Uh, the, the last one I want to mention, and you didn't mention this on your list, uh, although it's only one player, is Chelsea. Um, and the reason I want to mention this is because of the fixtures they have during that time span and the player specifically that they're losing. They're losing Edward Mendy for yeah. uh, the Nigerian great, Nationals team. Great shout. Great shout. And, yeah, I was thinking and, of bringing that up. Yep. Yeah, and Kepa Arizabalaga obviously is not the best goalkeeper in world football. Um, he will be the person coming in. And the two games, Zach, that he'll be coming in for, Manchester City away and Spurs at home in a London yep. derby. So um, I thought that was worth highlighting as a, a potentially big one for Chelsea who really can't afford to slip up any further. That's a great point. That is, I I feel uh, I feel slightly embarrassed that I didn't touch on Chelsea, but you're right. I mean, the goalkeeper is is at most clubs the, the player that you would least want to lose. I would feel the same way if, if Martin Dubravka was going to uh, this tournament, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen what Newcastle has, uh, has endured with, with Carl Darlow in goal this season. So Chelsea in a similar position, Chelsea, a team that's also stumbling pretty heavily right now, uh, despite coming off a win in their, uh, in their last match. So I, I think that, or excuse me, uh, a win two matches ago and unbeaten in their, in their last five. So I think it will be really interesting to see, you know, can Arita Balaga at least kind of plug the hole in the time that Mendy is gone because Mendy has been phenomenal uh, in the, the major part of this season. Yep. Totally agree. All right. We'll wrap it before the break then um, with my EPL trivia clue for you. Again, the question this time, Zach was name every English manager to have won the premier league. I'll give you this first clue. I'm going to, I'm going to give you some statistics um, and I'm going to give you some conjecture here. The most widely renowned, most successful Premier League manager in the EPL of all time is Harry Redknapp. That is my first clue for you. Ooh. Sorry, repeat that clue. The most successful English Premier League manager since the inception in 1993 is renowned and is rumored to be Harry Redknapp by pundits. When you say most successful, do you mean just number of matches won? In terms of his overall successes, trophies won, um, highest finishes in the league, Harry Redknapp is the person who tops the list. Okay, this is good. This is good insight. I'm, I'm going I'm to chew on that during our commercial break. We will be back in just a few moments for the second half of the podcast today to hear about Liverpool Football Club and then go into Armchair Pundits in 10 and 90. Uh, we will be back in just a moment, so stay tight. Right, we are back with the latter half of episode 80 of the False Nines. Adam and Zach, your beloved co-hosts, enjoying this... <laughs> 
this chilly, chilly Wednesday evening in Denver, Colorado, really dragging this one out. Smooth, uh, smooth. <laughs> I have done this 79 times before. Uh, okay, so we we have a fun section today. I, uh, as as you kind of may have noticed in our last episode, we're trying to incorporate more voices onto the pod. Last week we had our, our championship purist Noah Byrne coming in and telling us why everybody should illegally stream the championship week after week. And this week we have a, a voice clip uh, from a good friend of mine, uh, Sacha Siri, Siri Wardane, a uh, American uh, Singaporean Sri Lankan Liverpool fan, probably the biggest in the world who fits all three of those buckets in terms of uh, of fandom. So I was I was rock climbing with Soch earlier today. And we were talking extensively about Liverpool Football Club and the state of the Premier League. Uh, and he told me he would love to come on the podcast. And I asked if he wanted to record me a little clip with his feelings uh, as it pertains to Liverpool right now and, and kind of this run of form that they've found themselves in. So without any further ado, uh, here is the clip from Soch about Liverpool Football Club. Hello, Zach. Uh, Sach here, lifelong Liverpool fan. And by lifelong, I mean maybe like 2008. But anyway, thoughts on AFCON and what we're kind of going to do with this situation. Um, you know, if you asked me before our match yesterday with Leicester, I would feel a lot better about this situation. Um, but I mean, honestly, it could be a blessing in disguise just seeing things changed up a little bit. With our attack, I think we were just very stale yesterday. But uh, thinking about what we're going to look like, I mean, do I think Klopp is ever going to play anything besides a 4 through 3 Like, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think so. So I think we'll probably keep that formation. And we are very, very lucky in that, you know, our backup strikers are better than most. But I think what it's going to look like is I can honestly see Jota being the main guy. Um, I think he'll play left wing. Um, and we'll kind of run the attack through him um, up top. My guess is probably Bobby. Um, I think he's still coming back into fitness, but Mina Mina has showed like some pretty sweet flashes of brilliance. I think especially if you look at some of those EFL Cup games, uh, he's really stepped up. So I think I would love to see him get some more minutes and get some confidence. I mean, he's what, 26 and we paid pretty decent money for him. So I think I would love to see him get some time and split that with Bobby. And then on the right, um, I'm going to go with Harvey. Uh, I think he was Klopp's, favorite youngster i mean he played his first prem match at what 16 and has been absolutely on the rise since then and minus that ankle injury he was looking incredible so i would love to see him get that spot back i think ox is much better as a super sub anyway um where i think things get interesting is the midfield i think without that strong top three or as strong of a top three i think where you're going to get into some trouble is like trying to play it super defensive with milliner so i think I think Hendo needs to stay on the pitch. I think especially without some of those more senior players would need a strong captain presence. So I think Hendo will get a spot. And then I think maybe some combination of Thiago and Fabinho with Fabinho dropping back to play more of the defensive, whereas Hendo is going to kind of take up that maestro role um, and just try to create chances. Um, I mean, we're lucky, end of it. Like, I think we have Chelsea on January 2nd and the half-con players leave the next day. So... Um, I'm not saying the teams that are that we're playing while they're gone are pushovers, but I think we're definitely in a better spot than I'd expect. It's just a question of like 
how do you not completely exhaust our players because they are going to have to shoulder a much bigger burden with that, the counter and the striking power of our AFCON players. Because I think, like, even beyond Mo and Mane, like, Nobby has played out of his mind for us this season. And I think that when he's healthy, he has been a huge part of our offense. Uh, so I think we're definitely going to be hurting. Um, but yeah, if I, if I have to boil it down to what I think we're going to have, it's going to be from left to right, Jota, Bobby, and on the right, it'll be Harvey Williams with Ox and Minamino playing, um, playing the several. And then, I mean, you can never, ever, ever forget the man that it's a legend, Divock or Rigi, who will just come in clutch for us. So, um, yeah, we're, we're down, but we're not out. We're still very much in this thing. Uh, just kills me that City are going to lose pretty much no one or any this strong. So, um, really, really counting on some of those bench players to step up and mow and Mane's absence. Uh, but you know what they say, you'll never walk alone. Awesome. Thank you, Sacha. It was so good to get the expert perspective from somebody who actually supports the team playing at Anfield uh, versus the people who sit there and are begrudgingly entertained by the electric football that a team that, that they hate uh, puts out week after week. So we appreciated that slightly less negatively biased perspective that Adam and I just simply would never be able to give. Adam? We'll toss it back over to you. I know that I've I've held you out from talking for a while, and you're you're not terribly fond of having your mic muted for an extended period of time. So, <laughs> uh, in in today's armchair pundits, I will let you go first, and I'm very interested to see what you have to say. All right, mine's a very simple one, Zach. I'm going to throw it out here, and I'm going to get your initial reaction. Newcastle will stay up this season. Wow, wow! I did not think you had the audacity of saying a statement so brave, so courageous, and so potentially incorrect, but I look forward <laughs> to hearing you support it. <laughs> my, my first thing to back this up is I'm feeling optimistic today. Um, we've, we've had our game against Everton canceled. That means we don't have to play another game with a threadbare squad. Um, yes, we're going to be without Callum Wilson, but I think we'll bring in reinforcements from an attacking standpoint. We may even bring in Pierre and Aubameyang. Who knows? Um, the Man United performance is really what mostly got me thinking along this train of thought. It showed me that Howe's tactics and his game plans are starting to pay dividends. I love that the players looked up for it, even though they're not the most talented group of players and not the youngest group of players that we've we've had at the club since I've been supporting them. They looked like they wanted it. And there were players like Joe Linton, like John Joe Shalvey, like even Ryan Fraser, I thought was up for it um, against Manchester United. And I do think that that is what we're going to need. We're going to need that level of effort every single game. We're hopefully going to bring in the talent to come in alongside that to give us the boost that we need. I've been reading a lot about Kieran Trippier coming in yeah. and that being almost a done and dusted deal. It will get signed immediately because he wants to come back to England and we're going to make him the most expensive, highest paid player at Newcastle. Um, I think 25 million is the touted transfer fee. So he won't be our most expensive signing, but they're talking about wages of 150,000 British pounds a week um, if he were to come in. So I just think that is going to set the tone for signings to come and it'll pave the way for some big name players to come in during the transfer window. And with some of those games we have coming up like that Watford game, which I think is entirely winnable, especially with some of those players out. I don't know. I just think we might be able to ride the crest of that to safety this season. We're not that far back. We're only 
two points behind Watford. They have two games in hand in us, yes, but they're playing terrible right now. So I think it's got to be three of four from Watford, Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich. And why not Newcastle be the one to stay up? I think those are all really, really great points. A lot of people have been asking me recently if I think Newcastle will be going down. And I've I've been consistently saying that I, I feel that I lie right in the middle uh, of, of that kind of spectrum. I, I certainly would not say with utmost confidence we'll stay up. And I, I certainly wouldn't say with utmost confidence that we'll go down at this point. Uh, I think that we are in this really interesting position, having played more matches uh, than any team in the bottom seven. So we're the only team, or excuse me, besides Norwich, who barely are in the Premier League at this point in time, uh, we are the only team in the bottom seven that have played 19 matches, uh, which you and I have talked about, Adam, isn't, it, it could be looked at as a disadvantage. You have teams that know what they need to get in certain matches based on the games they're making up against Newcastle. Uh, but we've also seen a, a bit more improvement than a lot of those other clubs in the in the bottom half and in, in that kind of relegation scrap uh, through our 19 matches. That the match against Manchester United, despite being you know disappointing in the end result, not getting three points, was very encouraging in the performance. Uh, and I think I think it all hinges on you know who we bring in in January, which this is a, a really good segue to a segment that we wanted to talk about today, which is what we think Newcastle needs to do specifically in the transfer window, um, positions they need to focus on, and uh, if at all you know specific players that are being linked with those positions. Trippier has been the rumor for about a month, the, the most strong rumor of players that we're bringing in. I think that you know he would undoubtedly improve the side immediately a player that's playing at the top level both club and country and has been for quite a considerable amount of time um and i think you know if this signals the end of playing matt ritchie at right back uh i'll tip my cap to him and, and hope that i never see him on that spot on the team sheet ever again uh but i'll ask you this adam you know it, what would be but besides you know, right back. Um, what are what are the maybe two or three other positions that you think we most quickly need to improve in January? And I emphasize quickly because I think that an important thing to note here is that Newcastle is a team that if we ever get moves done in January, it's almost always on deadline day, and that won't work this year. We need to be getting these players in immediately. Uh, we can't be waiting, especially with Callum Wilson out and Dwight Gale, the only uh, senior player who has played striker in the Premier League on our club. Um, so who, who do you think we need to be replacing? And if anybody, who do you think we should be bringing in to do so? Uh, I think center back is probably the the most urgent need on the team. There's been rumors of Joe Rodan potentially coming in from Spurs. I think we could get him in on loan. I think that would be a very simple um, signing to bring in and add a little bit of grit to the back line there. I think I'd also like to see maybe a little bit more seniority, a little bit more experience come in. Um, I don't have any names per se for who else I'd like to bring in, but I think bringing in two really solid center backs would be kind of priority number one for me. I think we need um, a little bit more in terms of creative midfield. John Joe's been playing pretty well, but I think we can't be solely reliant on him or one injury away from losing a lot of the creativity that we have in the team. I've read Aaron Ramsey is um, a rumor to potentially be coming in. I would love that as a Wales fan. I think he's phenomenal um, to get a player like him in. And then I think we need a striker potentially to 
Um, I read Gabriel Barbosa is somebody who is um, we've been linked with as well. Um, Brazilian international, maybe Big Joe can have a word and uh, put the bug in his ear about coming and playing for the tune, how much he loves playing in front of a packed 52,000 at St. James's. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think that's it. Central defender, creative midfielder and striker for me. Spine of the team. I agree with you, uh, you know, in, in all three of those positions. Uh, another interesting name that I, I saw very lightly linked with Newcastle today, uh, Ajax left back Nicholas Tagliafico the Argentinian international, apparently they're planning on putting him on the transfer block in January. Uh, and although I do still think that there's a good player in Jamal Lewis, I don't think that this is a point in time at which you would, you know, hesitate in improving any part of the back line. Newcastle has the joint worst defense in the Premier League with uh, alongside Norwich, who, as I just mentioned, I don't consider to be a Premier League side at this point in time. So, I, I think, you know, if that's a legitimate rumor, Tagliafico would be a great player to bring in. The the one thing I worry about with Rodon is what you just mentioned, you know, the experience side of it. We've been linked with James Tarkovsky from Burnley. I personally don't think that'll happen. I don't think Burnley would sell him to us, you know, being another team in this relegation fight. Uh, but I would love to see us bring in another experienced center back. And I'll ask you this, Adam. Uh, between Fabian Schar and Jamal Lascelles, uh, if you brought in one center back, who would be the first of those two to get replaced? I think it depends on the type of center back that you bring in. I'm not a huge Lascelles fan, especially this season. Um, but I think that he and Schar are very different types of defenders. So I would say, if, if you're just asking me outright, I think LaSalle's being dropped is probably the right answer of the two, but I think it truly depends on the type of player. Do you want two ball-playing center backs in Cher and another center back that potentially might be incoming playing alongside each other? Do you need that from both your central defensive players versus what LaSalle's brings to the team? I don't know. Um, it'll be an interesting one to see how that one pans out. Where would you say that Joe Roden would improve on our two center backs? Um, I just think he's very confident on the ball. He reads the game extremely well. Joe Roden has looked incredibly impressive in a poor Welsh backline and has done a phenomenal job, typically alongside Chris Mepham, who's really a championship defender. Um, and then with um, Ben Davis at left back and then occasionally Nico Williams, uh, more often than not, Connor Roberts at right back, um, who can't get in the Burnley team right now. So Roden has been really the outstanding player um, and has really kind of been putting in incredible challenges to save save Wales from conceding goals on the regular. Um, I just think he's a top quality center back. I know that Newcastle fans won't get excited about him. I personally will be an exception to that rule. I think that he's a great player who could immediately add something to our team. And I'm hugely high on this kid. I think he's going to be a phenomenal player regardless of who he plays for in the long term. I agree. Yeah, I think that Newcastle needs to bring in a minimum of three players in January. I, I know that in a, a recent article uh, he wrote for The Athletic, uh, Alan Shearer was answering a, a mailbag of questions and said that ideally Newcastle's bringing in six players that would be going pretty much immediately into the starting lineup. Uh, it speaks to you know the, the areas of improvement for Newcastle. Uh, but I agree. I, I think that the spine of the team is uh, what is needed to be improved at the moment and Callum Wilson being out is is massive I mean that's like he I I would not say that Callum Wilson has been our best player this season necessarily but I think that losing him pretty much stifles any sort of attack that we have um 
So I, I think a replacement needs to be brought in immediately. Yeah, I read I read a quote today that said um, Callum with Callum Wilson being out now for several months, Newcastle's transfer strategy has changed in that they are now planning to bring in a striker in the transfer window. And I read that, and I did a double take just reading that, thinking, wait, were we seriously planning on not bringing in another striker in January? Were we going to be reliant on Dwight Gale? as like our only backup option in the goal of staying in the Premier League, being <laughs> on the shoulders of a very injury-prone Callum Wilson. Exactly. I, I mean, injury-prone is, is the key there. Even when he's even when he's healthy, he's, he's almost never playing an entire 90 minutes. And uh, as we as we saw, is is unfortunately, you know, constantly getting getting injured and could be out for it sounds like what what is close to two to three months now. So yeah, that, that needs to be priority, if not number one, uh, week number one in January is getting another striker. Yep, absolutely. It's it's interesting. We Just looking at the fixtures that we have upcoming, Southampton game is on Sunday. That's a huge one away at Southampton, another team that we could kind of draw back into it with a couple of wins ourselves. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that that game gets postponed with the COVID issues that we're having right now just so we can have a little bit more time in the transfer window, because then our next game after that is actually a cup game um, on the eighth against Cambridge. And let's be honest, who gives a shit whether we win that one or not? I could care less if we mm-hmm. get dropped out of the cup right away. And then we play Agreed. Watford Watford on the 15th. Imagine if we don't have any more Premier League games between now and the 15th, and we have two full weeks to bring in players before that Watford game with Dennis and Ishmael Asar not playing in that. Wow, what a, what a huge game that becomes at St. James's Park. Absolutely. I think that's a really, really good point. You you obviously don't want to don't want to hope for injuries or illness, but in terms of, you know, uh, boosting up the, the lineup and, and the squad and, and getting players, uh, getting players accustomed to the team and, and kind of fitting in uh, to our, our current setup, uh, two and a half weeks is would be an immense amount of time uh, as it's relative to the entire season. So I, I, I agree with that. And again, don't hope that people get sick for Sunday's match, but would not be heartbroken if that match had to be postponed. That's right. Javi Manquillo, deliberate yellow card, five yellow cards for the season. Do you want to read that out? That was one of, that was one of the funniest tweets that you've, you've sent me recently. Uh, If people are unaware at the end of (laughs) in the, in the final few minutes of the Newcastle Manchester United match, Javi Manquillo got what was one of the most bizarre yellow cards that I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Newcastle on the attack, kind of recycling the ball back to Mankio, who's playing left back at this point in time. And for what seemed like no particular reason, Mankio decided to not only pass the ball back to Martin Dubravka, but first run a good 30 to 35 yards with the ball, not under a ton of pressure, uh, passed it back to Dubravka. Dubravka played the ball back to him. He uh, essentially missed misplayed it out of bounds and then ball wasted to get a yellow card, which is as a season leading to a suspension, unbelievable scenes and some, some top is shit housery, whether it was intentional or inadvertent. Yeah. The, the quote was, um, I will give credit to at J Chator 16, Mankio getting a tactical suspension in the 95th minute last night to get the Everton game postponed. That's my fucking right back. <laughs> <laughs> it is a phenomenal take and you you know that he was instructed by the sidelines to do whatever he could to to get that that game canceled so thank you agent mankio you've always been a, a loyal subject of of the newcastle crown true that all right armchair pundit zachary what have you got sir 
So we, we've kind of gone over this today already, uh, but just to really hammer down what I think will happen at the top of the table, I think that Manchester City wins the title with minimum 15 points between them and the second place side. I don't think it's going to be remotely close uh, for for City. I know we, we kind of went over, you know, the uh, situation with the African Cup of Nations. You could argue that Liverpool, despite losing two of their top players, are, are not in that dangerous of, of a position. But I think it's the run of form that is really kind of sticking out to me. Uh, City, eight points above Chelsea, as I mentioned, uh, just over halfway through the season. You know, this was uh, earlier in the season, we, we were looking at Liverpool, City, and Chelsea and, and saying, you know, what, just two or three episodes ago, this is going to be an incredible three-horse race for the title. And eight points is, you know, is a pretty enormous gap. That is Manchester City, a team that, as Adam mentioned, has not not only not lost, but not dropped points in their last 10 matches. That would mean them losing uh, two and tying one to even be equal with Chelsea, assuming that Chelsea could win all three of those matches in which Manchester City is stumbling. And I just don't see a place in which they will stumble. Whereas with Chelsea, you know, we're seeing a lot of issues in that team. They've been hurt with the injury bug and the COVID bug quite heavily. But they're also just not getting uh, the kind of the, the goals that they need, despite being the third highest scoring team in the Premier League. Um, and there's not really that finishing bite that, that Chelsea had earlier in the season. Romelu Lukaku still getting back into full health. He scored uh, in their last match. But I, I just think that Pep knows what he's doing with this Manchester City side. He's been there before. They've been there before. Not to beat a dead horse. I think that City wins a title with at least 15 points between them and the second place side. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty good shout on the Chelsea front there. I'm not sure if you heard, but Ben Chilwell officially ruled out for the rest of the season. Reese James forced off with an injury today against Brighton. Um, just it's all falling apart at Chelsea right now. So, And then you've got Liverpool with a game in hand that could bring it within six points should they win that. But I, I agree. I think uh, City are going to comfortably win it this season. I don't know if the over-under I would have picked would have been 15 points, but certainly I think it'll be in the double digits. Yeah, we will see. We will see. Do you want to? Do you want to put a wager on that? I'll, I'll say that it's fifteen or more. Mm, yeah, I'll take that one. Okay, fourteen okay. or less. Fourteen or less. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's a fair mark to set. That's the mark I quite literally set just a minute ago. So uh, <laughs> we twenty do... twenty dollars straight up. Ooh, $15. $15 for every point that they will at least win by. Come on, Zachary. I can't do it, man. I, I can't do it. I'm making a lot of wagers nowadays, so I need to I need to be tight on the purse strings. All right, fair enough. 15 it is. 15 it is. All right, lovely. Uh, Newcastle staying up, Manchester City winning the title. Sign me up for both of those things right now. I would, I would love if both of them happened. Sign you up, I, I for sure will. All right, I'm going to start with 10 and 90 today because I want to touch on a topic that I think will be near and dear to both of our hearts. And as we're at our core, a Newcastle podcast, we're an EPL podcast, but we're on a Newcastle channel here over at SB Nation. I want to talk about Fabrizio Colaccini. Fabrizio Colaccini today announced his retirement from the beloved game of football or soccer, depending on where you are listening to this podcast at the ripe old age of 39 years old. Zach, my, my theme for you today is Fabrizio Colaccini. I'm very excited. Club 
legend in every single way. Uh, even when he was going through poor runs of form, you know, a, a phenomenal leader. I think one of the best new leaders that new maybe potentially the best leader that Newcastle has had in the last 15 years or so. And uh, yeah, I really, really, really loved Colaccini. People, people often referred to World Cup winning center defender for Barcelona, Carlos Puyol, as the Spanish Fabrizio Colaccini. That is a real thing that people said, and I uh, can provide the sources to prove it. Uh, and I think with good reason, an absolute ledge on town side. So I'm excited to hear these questions. Indeed, yeah. All right, we'll start with, you, you talked about a legend on Tyneside. My first question for you, Zach, is I want you to complete this popular St. James's Park chant for me. It goes a little something like this. Oh, Colochini, you are the love of my life. Oh, Colochini, I'd let you shag my wife. Oh, Colochini. Ooh. I did know that that was a chant. I knew the shagged my wife part, but I didn't know the last verse. What? How does <laughs> how does that end? It goes, I want curly hair too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no genie. I there you go. All my wife's. <laughs> there you go. His, it's, uh, it's his trademark, right? His curly hair, hence the Puyol yeah. reference. Um, but yeah, it's a, I want curly hair too was the last line. That's a, a great chant and a great line. That'll that'll place third behind the the Paul Dummett and the uh, Modiami chants that always hold a hold a really special place in my heart. And the Jolinton one that we created at the front end of the podcast today too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Question number two: Colacini played two hundred and forty eight games for Newcastle United. How many goals did he score? I'll give you one either way. Two hundred ninety eight games for Newcastle. 248. 248. Certainly not an aerial presence uh, or, or one that, you know, mirrors the, the likes of Van Dyke or Ruben Diash. Um, I'll say that he scored eight goals for Newcastle. Uh, you will get that correct then. He scored seven goals for Newcastle. So you're mm. uh, right there on the one either side. All right. Beautiful. Question number three. Colacini uh, had 39 international caps for Argentina. He scored one goal in the process. It was during a World Cup qualifier in 2004. Who did he score his goal against? World Cup qualifier, South America. Was it Brazil? It was not. It was from Nabi Solano's Peru. Oh, one Newcastle legend to another. Exactly. All right. Question number four. Newcastle terminated Colaccini's contract by mutual consent in 2016 to allow him to return to what beloved Argentinian Primera División side? I was thinking about this earlier. I was going to, I was going to look up his career, but I I did know that you were going to ask me some, some Colo some colo related questions so I, I didn't want to give myself some answers hmm. is it boca juniors it is san lorenzo is the team Ooh. that he's played for for the last four years all right okay yeah, yeah. and he went there on pretty much pretty much zero wages just because he wanted to go home and play for for that team who he played for earlier in his career that makes sense cool yep. good on him question number five did colocini win a major trophy during his club career? 
Oh man, was he on the Inner Toto winning side in 2006? I don't, I don't think he was. I think he may have missed out on the Inner Toto Cup. I think that was that was who who was the center back at that time? Woodgate, maybe. Probably, yeah. 2006. No, well, yeah, I guess that could have been 2006. Hmm. Not sure. Did he win? Did he win a major trophy? Did he win the the Argentinian division? He did not win any major divisions. He won the championship with Newcastle, but he um, I've actually mm. seen him play um, for Newcastle, but he did not win any major domestic titles in terms of the leagues. But did he win any cups? Zach? I'll go with yes, because I feel like you're leading me there, but I don't know what cup it may be. <laughs> Hilariously, in 2003 for Villarreal, Colachini's oh. only major trophy was the Intertoto Cup. He won the Intertoto! <laughs> no, with another club! Oh, Not with Newcastle, no. but with no. Villarreal. No. Oh, oh God. Wow. Wow. That is so hard to hear that he lifted <laughs> he lifted he lifted the the famed and the the prodigious inner toto cup while wearing another another club's colors that's so hard oh, the newcastle the newcastle story about that is still just so phenomenal um because they won it kind of on like a technicality newcastle did what they didn't like win a game to win the inner toto cup and glenn roder was coming into training god rest his soul for newcastle um and they said glenn um, did you hear that you've just won the Intertoto Cup? He goes, we have? That's great. And then he went on with training. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's the only reaction you can have when you put on a technicality without actually being there. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, they ended up having, I think, the best record um, that didn't qualify for um, the next stage of European competition or something stupid like that. Um, so he's like, yeah, you've won the Intertoto Cup. And he's like, great. <laughs> <laughs> all right last question then zach um as always wash words for you two of them today yes um, Ooh, okay let me write these down there's gonna be vowels so this is good for you this is good that's fantastic all right first word d-a second word i-a-w-n Dayanish. First word? Da. Is great. Second word. Ainsh. Second word is not. Um, it's Dayan. Ooh, yeah, wow. That was not even remotely close. Dayan. Dayan okay. means very good. Um, da All is right. good. Yaun is very. Hmm. Da. Dayan. Okay. I, lo- I like that. That sounds like. Dayan. That sounds like Dayan. something they would say in in an anime show. You made it sound Irish there when you said it. Dayan. <laughs> That's good. Stuff. That's fun. Yeah, I got to improve my Welsh accent, even if I don't know any other words. True that. All right. True what do you that. got for me today, sir? Cool. Uh, I also went with a themed uh, 10 and 90. Um, we've talked about this theme quite a bit today. It is the African Cup of Nations. Oh, we're going to be talking about AFCON and the history of AFCON today, Adam. So I hope you've let's... been brushing up, which I know that you haven't. I have not, but let's do it. Cool. Uh, question number one 
this is actually technically the one question that doesn't exactly have to do with AFCON itself, but close enough. Uh, which current English Premier League, English Premier League player holds the record for most goals by an African player in Bundesliga history? In Bundesliga history. Oh dear. <laughs> I think I think I think you'll be able to get this current Premier League player most goals in Bundesliga history by an African player with ninety seven. Ninety seven, and he's going to the African Cup of Nations this year. Yes. I'm really struggling. This one. I, I can give you a clue if you need it. Go ahead. He plays for one of the clubs in current Champions League qualifying positions. That's not Mares, so it's not Man City. It's not Mendy, so it's not Chelsea. So it's Liverpool or Arsenal. Oh, wait. Is it uh, Aubameyang? It is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. <sighs> it took me a while, but I got there. This time with Borussia Dortmund. Uh uh, fun bonus 1A question. Uh, do you know what player uh, held the record before Aubameyang broke it? And your clue is that he played for Leeds during his time in the Premier League. Tony Although Boa. he spent most... Tony Boa. Nice. Very good. Yep. Yep. Good work. That's my nice. era, my friend. Tony Boa. <laughs> you're like, now you're, now you're really giving it to me. Okay, cool. I'll give you more, <laughs> I'll give you more 1998 to 2005-related questions. That's my jam. Beautiful. Okay, question number two. Uh, which retired Cameroonian international holds the record for most goals in AFCON history? Uh, Roger Mia. No. Hmm. You have to give me a clue on that one. Not sure. Uh, he is, I would say, probably most well known for playing for Barcelona. Oh, Samueletto. Samueletto. Do you have okay. a guess on how many how many goals he scored in the? I believe he played in five Afcons. I'll, I'll give you one on either side. How many goals did he score in total? There's quite a few games in the African Cup of Nations, from what I remember. Let's go with fifteen. Oh, close. Eighteen. Okay. Very good. Very good. Cool. Uh, question number three. Uh, what is the only country to have won three consecutive AFCON titles? And the titles were won in the years 2006, 2008, and 2010. I'll go with Ivory Coast. See, that's what I would have guessed. I actually would not have guessed the, the club uh, that actually holds this record. It's Egypt. Huh, really? I wouldn't have yeah. guessed that either. Pre-Salah Egypt. Pre-Salah Egypt. Pre-Mohamed pre Elneny. You know, they're they're missing all their superstars, but yet they won three consecutive titles. There you go. Wouldn't have guessed there it, it, but there is. you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question number four. Which fellow holds the record for most consecutive AFCON appearances with 15 from 1994 through this upcoming tournament. And sorry, you said did you did you mention which team he played for? No, this is this is the country. So which fellow oh. North African nation? Uh, so Excuse me. 
Egypt, a North African nation, this nation as well in that part of the continent? Whew, yikes. Um, let's go for Senegal. Ooh, Senegal is a good guess. Uh, I will give you... Um, yeah, I, I'll 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 give you credit on that one, Senegal, another country that I would associate with being at the top level in Africa. It's actually Tunisia, which I did not huh. expect. I wouldn't have got that at all. There I you know. go. Yep. Yeah. Um, fifth and final question. Really, really excited about this one. You're gonna quite enjoy this question, Adam. <laughs> which former Newcastle United player won the award in 2015? One, which award? Sorry, you cut out a little bit there. The most valuable player of the African Cup of Nations tournament in 2015. Former Newcastle player. Correct. We have nobody going to AFCON this year, so it can't be a current one. <laughs> I want to say it's Modiame. Will you say that it is Modiame? <laughs> I want it to be so bad. <laughs> is it Modiame? No, it is not. Oh, I wanted it so bad. Oh, um, let's go with Dembaba. Oh, another great guess and undoubtedly Happy season. a Newcastle legend. Nope, neither oh, are right. Lord. This is gonna this is gonna blow your Obafemi, mind. Obafemi Martins. Oh God, you know that Obafemi is my favorite player of all time, not named Jonas Gutierrez. But it is not Obafemi. It is none of the people you have listed. This is unbelievable to me. I was, I did a double take when I read this. Do you want to know who it is? Go ahead. Who you got? It is Ghanaian international Christian Atsu. What? No, he's so bad. Christian Atsu was the best player at the African Cup of Nations in 2015. And because that reason, we need to now start paying more respect to Christian Atsu. Unbelievable. And, and in a nutshell, you've just summed up exactly why I've never watched a game at the African Cup of Nations. Incredible. Incredible. I was like, I actually, my jaw hit the floor when I read that. It, I was like, there's no way that he was the best player in the entire tournament. But yeah, he was. The African Cup of Nations is the MLS of international competition. Oh, I think that's a little harsh. Uh, although Atsu's participation um, does not does not bode well for the standing, but uh, I think I, I'm excited. I'm actually really excited for this year's Afcon. I think there are a lot of really stacked teams. Nigeria is always a heavy hitter. Uh, Egypt, you know, any team with Mohamed Salah stands a mm-hmm. chance. Senegal, Senegal's team Senegal with Mane, Mane, yeah, oh. Mane Kuyate. Um, uh, Sars, yeah. Like, I'm gonna Sar. look at. I was I was gonna look at uh, the Senegal, yeah, Senegal soccer players. Mane, Edward Mendy, Koulibaly from from Napoli. Oh, Ismail there's a Lassar. player. Wish, wish Newcastle would sign. Koulibaly yeah, would it, be incredible. Idrissa Gay is on Senegal. Abdou Shit. Diallo. Like their team is ridiculous. Mbe Niang from uh, from uh, AC Milan. Like they they have a crazy crazy good team. So I think that Senegal is is my um, is my pick for uh, 
for the team that I think is gonna is gonna run through it. It's it's them or Nigeria in terms of individual squad players. Uh, Nigeria, Ahmed Musa, Odin Agalu, uh, Bonaventura, Ianacho, Ndidi, Awobi. Uh, they have they have a phenomenal if a phenomenal list of players on that team as well. So I think I think it'll be it'll be quite. Uh, quite entertaining. I need to see if what games are going to be televised, if if any, because I would love to catch that. That was going to be my next question. Do you happen to know um, which channel is showing the African Cup of Nations here in the United yeah, States? Yeah, let's 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 see. Um, let's see TV schedule. Where can you watch it? Um, one second. I'm looking this up as we speak. Be uh, in um, sports. Yeah, so it doesn't look like any doesn't look like any US based Fubo. I I've watched games on there before. Doesn't look like any US based uh based channel is going to be hosting the games, but yeah, definitely something to tune in for. Again, it begins on uh January the 9th for people who are interested in watching it. Fantastic. All right, well, I've learned a lot more about the African Cup of Nations than I ever cared to learn, but thank you for your 10 and 90 today, sir. Of course, of course. Okay. Long episode, as always. We've never done a short episode. It's the 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 perpetual white elephant, white buffalo that we will never catch uh, is the the hour long episode. So let's <laughs> let's just end it with the EPL trivia and uh, allow people to stop listening to us having uh, a conversation about world football. Sounds good. All right. Um, the, again, the question, listeners, was name every English manager to have won the Premier League. The first clue was that Harry Redknapp was renowned as the most successful English Premier League manager of all time. There are three managers, former Newcastle managers, in that top 10 as well. They are Kevin Keegan, Sir Bobby Robson, and Sam Allardyce. So I've given you four of the 10 most renowned and successful English managers in the Premier League of all time. And the question, again, is which one which english manager has won the most premier league titles correct the, the question is no is name every english manager to oh. won the premier league oh oh yes yeah. sorry sorry excuse me excuse me um that is correct name every premier league manager to have or every english manager to have won the english premier league okay I'm trying. I'm really digging deep here through through the memory bank. Who who managed Blackburn when they won in what ninety three was it? Blackburn. Mm-hmm. They won the first ever, I believe, uh, Premier League. They must have had an English manager, didn't they? Oh man, I just I don't know. Like this is where your knowledge of nineties in early 2000s Premier League completely trumps mine. Uh, was it was the manager of Blackburn that year? Is he one of them? He's not. Really? Okay. Wow. All right. I, I stand no ch- I stand no chance at this point. Um I genuinely don't know if I, I could name any for you. Uh Terry Terry Venables. Um no incorrect. Um I'm gonna put you out of your misery here. The answer to my Please. question, Zach, yeah. is it's a none. true question. Is it none? There, the answer is none. The I, last see, I, English. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I ah, God damn it. I was like, there's, I was like, 
Sir Alex Ferguson, no. Arsene Wenger, no. Okay, I'm giving up. <laughs> the last English manager to win the top division um, was the year before the Premier League was founded, 1992. Howard Wilkinson for Leeds won the English wow. first division with Leeds in 1992. It has been almost 30 years, and certainly no, no English managers will be winning it this year. Oh, man. I... I'm mad about that. I wish I had the balls to to say to make that guess, but I like yeah. it. Big fan I, I, of would, trick I questions. Would, I would say looking at the table right now, in my humble opinion, the I mean it is, statistically it is true as well. Graham Potter is the best English manager in the Premier League currently. Yeah. At at this moment of time, again, we we talked about this quite recently. Uh, if we're talking English specifically, uh, David Moyes yep. would not fall in there. So uh, yep. Graham Potter is, is definitely the best one. You've got Steven Gerrard. You've got, and wow, all of these are in the bottom half of the table except for Graham Potter. So you've got Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. You have got... Um, Dean Smith there? at Norwich. Dean, Dean uh, Smith at Sean Norwich. At Burnley. Sean at Burnley. I think that's it. Oh, oh and then obviously Eddie Howe at Newcastle as well. Yes. Damn. That was good. Yeah. That was that was good. That was a good trick trick question. I enjoyed that. Thank you. I tried to, I tried to throw you off the scent and I feel like I successfully did so. So mission accomplished. You did. You did. Um all righty. Well, good stuff. Final episode of 2021. We will be back in the new year to hopefully talk about some new Newcastle United signings, although don't hold out any hope there. As we just found out, they didn't think they needed a striker until a couple days ago. So, you know, what? Well, who knows what what what'll happen? We we might bring back some old pals. We might bring back. Uh, we might. Uh, you know, who who are some of the Sadu Dumbia to lead the lines in in, in, in Caleb Wilson's absence? Demba Ba, Puppy Cisse, dream oh dream God, front I, two. I would cry if that happened. That would be amazing. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> All right. Ten years, ago. Well, ten years, ten years ago, maybe. Ten years too late. Ten years too late. Exactly. Uh lovely. Cool. Anything more to say to the fans out there? All I have to say, Zach, is footy. Footy indeed. Peace. <laughs>